This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome, everyone, to a post-game edition of Spits and Suds, a trifecta edition of Spits and Suds, as the Stars fall to the Bruins at the AAC. And joining us, a couple of D-Magazine guys, David Castillo and my regular co-host, Sean Shapiro, as well. Sean's at Shap Shots, EP Rinkside, where he was writing tonight. Uh, as well as D Magazine and uh, David Castillo. David, where are you at for where else can we find you? Well, okay, well, Star Stack and occasionally defending Big D still. So there you I do go. A prospect update kind of coming out this week. So, so yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right, boys, let's uh, jump into it. Your overall uh, thoughts, Sean, we'll start with you. What did you, uh, what did you uh, see tonight? Uh, I'll go last and because uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't want to, I, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm a little frustrated, um, but you go first. When, when you say frustration, is it more of result-based or play-based? I'll throw that back at you real quick. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I think it's play-based. Um, okay. I, I just because I understand the urgency toward the end of the game. Teams have a natural tendency to put everything on the net. I just thought the first period and a half um, minus Ty Delandria, I just didn't see enough out of this stars team. Yeah. I mean, it's to me, it was kind of one of those. Uh, I looked at this as kind of a classic it's very classic of the, uh, and I'm not going to try to completely paint it all with one brush, but it's very true. It's Gavin. We've talked so many times on this podcast about how this team has started slow in the Jamie Ben era forever. And it's not everything, not everything falls on Jamie Ben. It's not completely fair in that way, but big games, big tests. And how often do the stars in those big games, do they come out flat or does the other team have the upper edge? And it's kind of funny when you have a game like this against a guy who knows the stars pretty intricately in Jim Montgomery and, and coached the stars core, obviously for those that year and a half. And he's got a team that comes out and plays fast and plays hard right away and does all that. And he are, and he complained for, he complained rather publicly for and during his 14, 16 months in Dallas about he couldn't get the stars to do that. And yep. now he gets Boston to do that and they come out and do that. And um, I would add Wyatt Johnston to your Ty Delandria criticism, yeah, criticism yeah, but like I, I would add Wyatt Johnson from to that as good well, point. that uh, that I thought Johnston and Delandria were both good in the first period. But this was an example where you dig back at the end and everything, but it's 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 a perfect side by side. Jim Montgomery for two year and a half he was here talked about how he struggled to get the Dallas team going. 
he's gone to Boston and I don't know how much credit he deserves versus what was already built by the core in Boston. Obviously um, you have a captain there who in his complete annoyingness and Marchand is always going to be, always gets his team going, always happens. And these are the types of games where you, you score, if Miro's shot at the post there goes in at the end, you go to overtime, it's a great win. Um, I go back to the Vegas game that they lost in the shootout where they hit two posts. We're talking about inches, right, from mm-hmm. two big, big wins. But it also over um, hides what could have been if you showed up in the first 20 minutes. And that's been an issue in Dallas this entire era. It's not just, it's not a Pete DeBoer thing. It's not a, it's not a Rick Bonus thing. It's not a Jim Montgomery thing. It's not a Lindy Ruff thing. It's not a Kent Hitchcock thing. It's this team has always started slow in big games. So they did it again. They dug out, but you just, it just always leaves the what if feeling in your mouth of what if they showed up in the first 15 minutes, right? So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. David, anything to add? No, I, I think what I would add is that. I think for all the discussion about slow starts, um, the one of the things that doesn't get talked enough about is just the fact that, so people probably already saw the kind of money puck list of like, oh man, Marchment with Duchesne and Sagan are actually quite dominant in terms of uh, shot quality, uh, which, which they are. And I think it's fantastic, which is all the more unfortunate that Duchesne was out. But when you look at um, sort of the expected goal share for the other lines, uh, except for the fourth line, um, they're not that good. The Johnson line is is not, uh, they're below 50%. The Hintz line is well below 50%. And obviously, like some of these individuals have been fantastic. Johnston's had great moments. Um, I, I think Hintz is, has been, you know, mostly dangerous from game to game. But, um, but as groups, they're just, it's not coming together. And um, and I think sort of, yes, like going back to kind of what Sean said, you know, we can kind of talk about sort of the culture and the history that, you know, a lot of this leadership has when it comes to these slow starts. But um, that's like an issue that, uh, like, I think is probably going to take care of itself, but <laughs> not without some um, some focus. We, we said the same thing about overtime taking care of itself all season last year. And I was one of the people who said, Overtime was going to take care of itself. Three on three, don't worry about it. Look what the stars looked like in overtime in the playoffs. So I, I, I normally I want to agree with you on that, uh, where things will take care of themselves. But the stars' slow start hasn't taken care of itself in 15 years. So I, I'm still I'm not holding my breath on that. So, I, <laughs> yeah, boys, it's early. But the other thing, I, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, we we did a lot of podcasts where we said it was going to take care of itself, didn't we? So. <laughs> Uh, now it's really, really early in the game, but I will say this losses to Vegas, Toronto, Vancouver, Boston, all really good teams. I, I hate to say it this way. I guess your best win so far is Anaheim because of how they're playing and knocking off some teams. Cause the schedule, you know, other than those four teams is pretty light. Hold on, I'm pulling up the schedule. I was like, they they beat Philly, right? Philly's been kind of a yeah, sort Philly, of yeah, a live yeah, dog. Philly. 
I mean, not that I would consider them good. I don't think they're going to be a good team long term or this season when it's all when all said and done. But uh, you know, that was, I guess, a decent win. Yeah, but I mean, I guess, I guess, my point is the following. And I know, listen, it's way too early, but I would like to see a quality win over a quality opponent. Um, it, it's just, you know, I mean, I thought five on five on Saturday night against Vancouver. Vancouver was clearly the better team. Um, I, I think the stars have more talent and, you know, I, I looked at it from a perspective coming off, you know, that's the third game of a road trip, probably some tired legs. Um, great goalie in net for Vancouver. I mean, Swayman played great tonight. There's no doubt about it, but you know, I, I just wish the jump was there. I also wanted to ask you guys because I, I saw an early shift you know, where Delandria went into the corner, forced a turnover, caused two quality shots on Swayman. And then I saw another play where Lundquist did a real good job breaking out the puck. It ended up, um, you know, Harley got into the play and, you know, almost scored Swayman with a good save, but we showed the speed of that first line. And I almost wonder what was the game plan going in against Boston because I thought those two things a little physicality and showing that speed against Boston but I just felt as though throughout the game you'd see glimmering lights but no nothing consistent so I saw um this actually was a perfect game going into because I've watched Boston back to back now close I was uh yep I was at the Boston Detroit game the other night and one of the things that when Detroit beat Boston the other night, Detroit exposed Boston with their speed. Um, Mason Lowride, who was credit, um, the fact he scored tonight, notwithstanding, I mean, he was awful two nights ago um, against Detroit. And he was um, one of the fastest lines in hockey, the Debrinkit Larkin line, pretty much exposed him the entire game, drew him into two penalties. He got burned on a couple things. Um, I mean, this is a Boston team that right now between injuries and suspensions are basically playing with half an AHL lineup of, on, the, on, on the blue line. And this you should attack them with speed. You should, and it's not necessarily just straight line speed, which is thing, but it's like I, I saw it. I've seen it in person with Lowry the last two games. It's making decisions when speed's coming at you that they've got some young guys that don't either aren't ready to make those proper decisions or never will. And like a Parker Weatherspoon or something like that. And I'm not trying to dump on Parker Weatherspoon. It's just, that's who he is. And so the stars needed to come at speed with Boston. That's how you beat this team. That's how right now you take advantages of weaknesses when they have them. And I, I look at kind of, a couple approaches and you look at kind of how some players approach the game and everything. And Boston, Boston handled it better, but it also Dallas did not initiate as much as they could have as well. And that's, it's, it's kind of a two part there. And I'm going to do go to a line that I sometimes say to Gavin right now, get me on track because I'm rambling, but I'll let you go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, no, that's great insight, though. I mean, Detroit had a game plan and clearly exploited the Bruins in that. And 
I kind of wish that it carried over and we had seen now the Bruins, I thought did a really nice job in the first period for checking and the stars really struggled to get out of their zone. And by the way, that's something else that I think stars fans should kind of just get used to in terms of this concept of team speed, which is, you know, Dallas isn't like a terribly fast team themselves. So they're never going to be able to leverage speed uh, the way that say like a Detroit can, in addition to the fact that kind of something that, you know, we've, that, I've talked about it here on the show. I'm sure Sean has talked about. I know Sean has talked about. I've written about, you know, which is that this team is not good rush team. Like, I know they want to be, and I know they try, and sometimes they look really good because they have some really elite players. But, um, again, like, this is not to dump on, like, Lindell and Sutter and Hockenpah, but when you have three defensemen, regardless of quality, I'm not criticizing them as players, but regardless of quality, cannot facilitate the puck up ice quickly well, then you're always going to have like well, even Lundqvist kind of like falls in that, even though I think he's been good, kind of falls in that category insofar as it's high skin and Harley and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I know that that that's a good point. All right, boys. Uh, I don't know what we can say, but over three on the power play. Um, you know, this seems to be a. I mean, it's still early in the season. I just keep saying that still early in the season, but is there anything from your experience guys that they can do to change things up? Because this is really bad for this amount of talent to be performing like that and not taking, I I mean, they're struggling at times to get in the zone. And then when they do set up, I'm just not seeing quality chances on net. I will, uh, I mean, there's something that I think, and this is just more of an NHL wide commentary on things. Um, when it comes to the power play units, so much right now has become, and we've seen a bit of, and this is just my own, this is my own observation. This is not, um, I have no data or stats to back this up. This is just me watching hockey games. Um, We've seen penalty killers, in my view, and this is what Boston does. Um, they've swarmed the top of the one-three-one way more. And for people who, for the quick um, guide of what I mean by that, typical power play setup right now is you have the point man at the top, kind of right at the center. Um, then you have kind of three across the middle, and then the net front. And Dallas is it's almost more of a one, three, one and a half because the, the slot and the, the net front are free to kind of exchange space as much as they do. Um, but so we're seeing more and more pressure from penalty killers aggressively going at the role Miro Heishkinen plays on the first power play unit and where Nils Lundqvist is on the second unit. And how you beat that is you need someone who can facilitate and is willing to be the creator from that flank. It doesn't matter which flank it is. You need someone who's in that spot. And right now on the stars, first power play unit, this, a lot of this falls back on, can Jason Robertson become that guy? Um, To me, Robertson has always been, I I think the stars power play is at its best when Robertson is willing to embrace that role along the flank as both a, to steal a football analogy, the run pass option type quarterback from there where you can either get him going downhill shooting, getting him jumping into play and basically pivoting the point of attack 
which then over time reopens Heishkinen to make better decisions and pass things through. That's kind of how I look at it right now, because I think, I, I don't think you change the units around. I don't think it's as much that I think it becomes more of a point of emphasis where this is Jason Robertson. You want to be considered a top five talent on the planet. You want to be considered a, a heart trophy candidate. This is the stretch where we put the power play in your hands more. So from a emphasis and puck control space, and that allows us to go back to something else. That's you talk about kind of solutions. Some teams you say like, okay, let's move this guy from unit to one to unit two. I don't think that's the Dallas solution. For me, it's more of taking what you have right now and shifting kind of the internal responsibility of it and the internal mantra of it, particularly for one player who can do it. I just don't know if it comes down to him saying it or Pete DeBoer saying it or Steve Spott saying it. That's that's kind of the internal debate they have to have of who's responsible for making that change. Um, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. David, your thoughts on the uh, power play and some things you'd like to uh, see. And by the way, guys, um, I thought number four was really good on the ice tonight. Um, I, really? I, well, oh, well, put it this way. I like how offensive-minded he was tonight. I, I like that he was shooting the puck a lot more. I definitely thought he struggled a bit in Vancouver. Are, are you saying you didn't like four tonight? No, like I, I, there were, it wasn't necessarily like, oh, Heiskanen was just like awful. It was more of like Heiskanen had some tough plays and was kind of forced into a lot of tough positions. But I mean, maybe we'll get back to Heiskanen in a second, but just kind of quickly, you know, bouncing off the power play discussion. Like, I do think there is something, especially early in the season to experimenting with, you know, I don't want to say like a different, you know, different units per se, but I don't have, honestly, like I've never been a huge fan of Jamie Ben on the top unit because I feel like he's a player that um, for his as great as his season was last year was also largely a function of shooting percentage, right? That's just, yes, of course, you, you can argue, well, you know, regression, blah, 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 fancy stats, throw them out the window. <laughs> but I mean, 17% was the highest of his career on the power play. That's never going to happen again. Beyond that, I don't think Ben is the kind of player at this point in his career, at least, that I would describe as an elite passer. Now, does that mean there's a better alternative um, when you have players like Sagan and Duchesne? Maybe not, but I wouldn't mind. I realize a lot of this is kind of face-off based, and that's kind of his own discussion, but I, I wouldn't mind Wyatt Johnson on the top unit. And I think something like that uh, might be 
you know, something to consider, but something worth experimenting with. You know, this is a team with plenty of points in the bank, haven't looked good, and I'm certainly not going to sugarcoat that. But um, but but I think there is room to kind of experiment with some of that. And beyond that, um, like I've always said, I, I think Heisken is a really good mover of the puck, but that's very different than the creative vision of someone like Adam Fox or Rasmus Dahlin. Yeah, I mean, those look those guys are elite defensemen. Um, one of the things that I wanted to bring up, Wyatt Johnston um, scores. 509 into the third period, crowd into it. Everyone's getting excited. And then at 945, Mason Marchman holding the stick against Pasternak. Two minutes. And just after they killed that, well, um, that was that resulted in a goal. And then Jamie Ben takes a cross-checking penalty. To me, those were two needless penalties. I wanted to get your guys' thoughts. I mean, I think. You know, clearly Twitter explodes anytime Mason Marchment uh, does things like this. He once again leads the team in penalties. It's the old Vegas special. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just didn't. I, I mean, I mean, listen. If you're going to commit a penalty due to aggression in the corner, if you're going to, you, you know, mistakenly trip somebody, you know, that happens. Sticks get in the way. Uh, I just don't understand holding the stick. I mean, I know, I know you're trying to stop him on the break, but you know, well, I, to me, the play had already left. Well, it's not usually, I mean, holding the stick is one of those where to use the coaching cliche, right? People will be like, I don't have an issue with effort penalties. That's, that's, that's a coaching cliche where effort penalty, you get in, you trip a guy, you do this, you do that. Like that's an effort penalty. Um, those happen and you live with those, but a lot of the times holding the stick in general is a, or position penalty. That's just the reality of it. A lot of that is it's either it's either a foolish penalty where you just did something dumb, or you were out of position, and that's that's the reason you did it. And those I don't have Marchment's penalties exactly in front of me right now, so I can't give the exact breakdown of it. But there's penalties in within Marchment's game where not enough for a guy who takes as many penalties as he does. Not enough of them are, hey, that's an effort penalty. I'm okay with that effort. Too many of them are, I don't like that he was even in the spot to commit that penalty for X or Y reason. Yeah. I yeah. mean, to be fair, it's it's David Poshnok. He's going to lose that foot race. And also, like, I think that's just, you know, th- these are also two players that just typically play on the edge to begin with. And, like, I'm not saying these are good penalties. They were actually awful penalties. They were both <laughs> awful penalties. But um, I, to me, like, when I think about Marchman and Ben's game, I, I honestly like I tend to just kind of tune out a lot of the uh, sort of borderline stuff in part because this organization loves them. They love the, what they bring. They love the size that they add to the roster. And um, and just, you know, yeah, they were dumb penalties, but I'm like, they're going to make them again. <laughs> so are we going to scratch them? No. Um, these are these are two players that the organization, I think, genuinely loves for that regardless of whether or not they're effective with that, you know, leverage and size, which you know, I think they are to some degree, but um, I, I just, when I think about like this game and how it was lost to me, Marchman Ben's penalties stand out for the result, but not for the performance. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I just, I just love the momentum the stars had at that point. I love that the, the house was kind of rocking. That's uh, Sean to answer your question. 26 penalty minutes on the year mm-hmm. um, leads the, uh, 
leads the stars. What did you guys think of the seven defensemen look tonight with the injuries? Well, I think before we talk about what we think of the look, I think we need to, I think just as a quick, and it was, it was out there. I know I said something on Twitter. I'm sure other people wrote it too, but I think we also need to be clear of why it happened. I think, I think that's an important context here. Um, it wasn't a choice to play 11-7. A lot of teams have played 11-7 in the NHL this year because there are, that for some teams, there's added value in going 11-7. Like Edmonton, I think they should be doing 11-7 more than they, than they even do because that means extra shifts for Connor McDavid. And when you get more shifts for the best player in the world, that's great. Dallas, 11-7 for context for everyone listening. This Stars are so close to the salary cap that they could not call. This was the game that Logan Stankoven would have been called up for. That's just the reality of it. They would have gone to, if, if, if Pete DeBoer had his choice in a world, perfect world, they would have called up Logan Stankoven. They would have played 12-6 tonight, and that would have been the case. Or, or Maverick Bork, but Logan Stankoven is from my understanding. So they had to go 11-7 because of how close they are to the cap. They don't have enough money to call anyone up. And if you have 18 healthy skaters... It's not an emergency. There's nothing that says, hey, well, we, we only we have less than 12 forwards, so we can play down a guy for a game and then call someone up. So Joel Hanley got into the game because he's because he was a healthy body, but I have a hard time. It, like it's one of those 11 sevens where he played what eight eight minutes, eight, eight minutes or whatever. And if he did Joel Hanley things for eight minutes, I didn't know he played. Like, yeah. I like, like, like just in the best possible way. Right. Like, like, so I, I, I think that's, that's kind of the big takeaway here is it's kind of the frustrating reality of where the stars cap situation is. Maybe, maybe, maybe tonight's the night when uh, you have your, I mean, Boston has Beecher score. Maybe tonight's the night Stankoven puts one in for you and, 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 and you win. Sure. You, you couldn't do it because of the cap. So I don't really care how the 11 seven went, honestly, I, I don't care. Because I think it's more of a great, it's more of a bigger illustration of this is how this team was built. This is how Jim Nill constructed this roster. And there was no escape hatch to get the guy up from the AHL. And that's just a flaw in this roster construction. So I don't care how it played out. I don't care what Pete DeBoer did. His hands were tied. This is what he had to do. This is more of a Jim Nill commentary for me than anything. Okay. And David? No, like I'm just just trying to imagine kind of what the benefit is just having Joel. I realize like people like Joel Hanley, and in the you know the conventional wisdom is that hey, it's it's good for a defenseman to be invisible. But like I'm just I, I never understood that. Like if you're they, not they they they, 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 they should have waved him yesterday. Let's be clear, right? Okay, Joel Hanley's not getting claimed. A guy, there's everyone's so close to the salary cap. There's everyone's the teams across the league are so close to the cap. He's played zero games. There's no proof he get claimed. The stars when became clear that uh, you were going to have that that you weren't going to have Duchesne and Faxa, you should have waived Joel Hanley yesterday. You had to have the foresight yesterday. You needed to put him on waivers yesterday. He would have cleared. You would have been able to send him down. You would have been able to recall Stan Coven or Bork today. This is a managerial thing, where it's it's this to me is this is a spot of you have to think ahead. And honestly, if you lost Joel Hanley on waivers. Liam Bixel's playing well enough. You have other guys you signed. There's 50 other Joel Hanleys in the world. This is one of those where you overvalued your seventh defenseman 
and it may have cost you. Like, it, I, I don't think that's getting. I don't. I, I don't think it's getting talked about enough, and it won't be wrote. It won't be written about tonight by anyone or anything like that, just because. A, I already wrote, and after we do this, I'm going to bed. And 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 B, and and and, and but it's 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 the reality of it. Where this is the spot where the con- the commitment to holding Joel Hanley on the roster and not being willing to waive him. I mean, let me let me put it this way: What would Vegas do in this situation? Vegas would have waived their Joel Hanley yesterday to get the best scoring option into the lineup tonight. Yeah, Jim Nill doesn't do that. Jim Nill is loyal to a fault at times, and. He could have had Maverick Borker, Logan Stankoven in the lineup if yesterday at two o'clock, when you have to put your waivers in, he could have waived Joel Hanley and he would have had open roster space and cap space to have a goal score in the lineup against Boston tonight. So it's great points and uh, appreciate uh, all that you guys have brought to the table. So we end on this. We have the Jackets on Thursday, Jets on Saturday. And the Wild on Sunday, three winnable games. Where are you looking as far as the net-minding situation? If you're DeBoer, how would you like it to play out? Okay, Sean is the goalie expert. This is like <laughs> one is. of those questions that's I have more true. than half. That's, that's true. Sean, I'll, I'll, while you think about it, I'll, I'll, I'll throw Matt it Murray? in I would, I would go Ottinger Thursday. I want to get back on the winning track. And then I would go Wedgwood on Saturday because I want Ottinger playing in his home state of Minnesota on Sunday. I'm looking at this goal at the game log for both of them right now when we do this. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those stretches where the schedule is spaced out well enough where you could easily fall into the trap of Ottinger playing all three. Yeah. Like you, you easily could do it, and then maybe throw Wedgwood against the uh, Coyotes again on Tuesday. Yeah, so you, you could easily fall into that space, um, and it wouldn't surprise me if they did that. Because no. there's another big layoff coming. They play the Coyotes yeah. on November 14th, and then they don't play again till that Saturday, uh, four days later on the 18th against the Avalanche. Yeah, so I could easily see them doing that, um, especially with two I mean two days. Um, I mean, I guess they're not going to, I mean, you're not going to play under all three with the, in theory, you're not going to play under all three with the back to back. Now it's what's going, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Um, so they will play Ottinger. Ottinger will play Thursday, Saturday because, um, and I think I even brought this up last time I was on the show, Gavin, um, conventional thinking in hockey. That's right. Right or wrong is you play your starter in game one. And you play your backup in game two. You put everything on the table to win game one. And then you just hope maybe you win game two. That's really what you're playing for. And the start and some teams have gone against that before. And I looked it up. Dallas tried it uh, three times last year where they went Ottinger in game two thinking like, okay, we could do this. And they lost. They lost in those situations. And because hockey coaches are such creatures of habit, when something doesn't work, the win-loss decider changes everything. So it will be Ottinger Thursday. It will be Ottinger Saturday. And it'll be Wedgwood on Saturday, um, Wedgwood on Sunday, because you don't go, because that switching the backup versus the starter didn't change. Now, if, if I had my druthers about it and you could pick what you would do and you want everything like that, I would do exactly what you said, Gavin. And I would have Ottinger play Sunday in Minnesota in the XL Energy Center, where he's always been great. But, it's not going to happen. So, 
Yeah, I, I'm just fascinated because I mean, I you know, I know coaches obviously have the decision, but at the same time, I would think Ottinger would want to play on Sunday, but maybe he's played enough now in Minnesota that I, I know I know he and you know this, Sean. He wants to beat Boston. He wants he wants to play every game. I mean, this yeah. is this is this is this is he wants to play every game. Like if 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 you ask you ask Jake Ottinger if he'll he'll play the next he'll play the next 80, 76 games or whatever the number is, right? Like he'll like it's that's a decision that you take out of the goalie's hands because yeah. hell, uh, I mean, of course he'll want it. It's, it's also a, it's also a weird one too on the timing of things, right? Where it's, you go, it's a day game Saturday. It's a, it's a, it's a day game Saturday yeah. into a night game. So in theory, but it's also yeah. not a lot of travel. So you, you could do it, um, but it'll be, uh, yeah. yeah. And what, what a luxury Jim Montgomery has on the other side tonight. I mean, it doesn't matter who he puts in net. Both of them are exceptional. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Swayman in particular, which is, right, wasn't that the discussion last year? Like, why didn't they play him yes. in games? You know, it's just, um, but uh, but yeah, really, like, just kind of nothing to add. I, I think um, other than as long as Ottinger doesn't play the most minutes of any goalie by the time the regular season is over, uh, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, yeah. All right, boys. Well, we appreciate this uh post edition and for spits and suds fans uh we'll talk to craig ludwig and he'll get into the uh, defensive portion of this game tomorrow along with his thoughts on the stars three to two loss and their upcoming uh schedule so sean shapiro you can find him at d magazine ep ringside shap shots david have you read the book we win here it's quite good <laughs> What is, what is that laugh? <laughs> that is Gavin. Gavin is Gavin is the greatest pitch man of all time. <laughs> I'm Sean Hype Man, man. My job is to make you guys money. And speaking of which, if you'd like to support David, Star Stack, look it up and you can support David Castillo. And also, you know, when these guys write in uh, D Magazine, take the extra step and write the editor and say, hey, I like that Sean Shapiro. Or I like that David Castillo. So <laughs> would Mike like that? I'm not sure. Uh, you know, would he? I don't know. Who doesn't like a compliment, guys? Yeah, I mean, Mike. Mike is a Mike's a Mike and Gavin are up there with some of the great hype people in this business. <laughs> so, um, yeah, absolutely. And we're also uh, planning on speaking with former stars and Tampa Bay Cup winner Brad Lukovich this week. So, when do you? Um, uh, will you ask Gavin? I'm going to give you an assignment. Yeah, ask him about his name on the cup and the fact it, uh, if, if he's willing to go down that uh, sour route here, uh, yeah. if, if he's willing to, uh, if he's willing to answer the question about, uh, not having his name on the cup in 99. Oh yeah. <laughs> Despite, uh, uh, well, well, other names were voted on instead of his. So, uh, that's, uh, yeah, it'll be, it's a good point, Sean, because it'll be interesting what ends up on spits and suds because when I had some frosties with Brad, you know, it's one of those things where you're not rolling tape, but in the back of your mind, you're like, man, I wish I was rolling tape right now, you know, yeah. just because he has such great stories, similar to Lud's, and, you know, talking about, you know, the teams he's played on and he's really up on today's hockey too. So, you know, we'll ask him about, you know, the stars and he really is tied in with the lightning still as well. Loves to go to Tampa. So, you know, I'm excited to 
talk to. I'm going to try to get as many of the 99 guys on as possible just to uh, talk about the uh, old days. But I will ask that, Sean. And if he drops the mitts with me, I will immediately blame Sean Shapiro. I, mean, I will take the I will I will definitely take the what's the aggressor penalty for that one. I know that I, I really have I realize full well what I'm sending you to do. That sounds good. We'll also get some intel from uh, Luds on that. Apparently they can't be in the same place anymore due to their uh, fun activities they share. <laughs> <laughs> all right boys this has been really good what a trifecta we had tonight on a spits and suds post game and that's the kind of stuff you get right here on spits and suds david sean thank you guys so much we really appreciate it thank you both happy to do it happy to do it all right guys that's going to do it for another edition of spits and suds once again stars fall to the bruins three to two tomorrow we'll talk to craig ludwig about this in the meantime have a great day everyone